Good morning. Good morning, everyone. All right. Well, it is such a joy and a pleasure to be here with you this morning to be able to uh, speak and teach. And I'm just, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in our hearts and in this place this morning. Um, so we are beginning a series on intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And um, before we do anything else, like I just want to acknowledge for some of us here in the room, you've been with Living Waters for a number of years. And so the fact that we do this every year, it can feel like, oh, okay, lather, rinse, repeat. Here we go on, you know, intimacy, identity, inheritance. Some of you are new to our, our, our family and we're excited to have you here. And we're excited to walk through this with you. This is foundational to Living Waters. So much so that if you walk in the door and you look down, you see that the words intimacy, identity, and inheritance are painted on the, on the steps right as you walk in the front of this building. And it is there, you know, not just because we thought, here's something, a conversation starter we can put on the floor. You know, why am I walking on intimacy? You know, it's not, it's not just a gimmick that we do that. It's so stinking foundational to everything that we believe and all that we do here that it is part of the DNA of this place. And so as we walk into this series, um, I know that there's different perspectives. There's people that are walking in here where this might be a new concept and some where this might be old. But regardless, what I'm going to challenge you all to do is to engage with this fresh and to engage with this with an open heart and an open hand. And so what that requires is for us to, to admit humbly, maybe we don't have this all figured out. Or to admit humbly that even if we've approached this 900 times, we can still learn something the 901st time. And today in the message that I'm going to give, it's, I'm not even starting with, you know, normally you start with intimacy first thing, but there's a, there's a prep to the whole series that I'm doing this morning. So we're not talking necessarily just about intimacy. We're talking about all of it today. And so are you ready to go on this journey with me? <laughs> Participation. I love it. Okay. So I think one of the, thank you over here, the woo over here, who did that? <laughs> Y'all read it? Yes, thank you. So, um, first and foremost, I want to explain what we mean when we say intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And intimacy, when we're talking about that, we're talking about intimacy with God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. See, for a lot of us, um, maybe we don't come from religious backgrounds that talks about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit a lot. And this is something that's very foundational to us here. I know that growing up for me, I was taught in a church that was like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture. Like that was the Holy Trinity in the environment I grew up in. And so Holy Spirit and the indwelling presence of Holy Spirit and how Holy Spirit interacts with us was, was something I had to get used to. And I don't know what religious backgrounds, if any, some of you coming here have, but, but I think one of the first things we need to address is with intimacy. Intimacy, by its very definition, isn't just about knowledge. Intimacy is about affection and knowledge together. So you can have a ton of knowledge of something and not be intimate with it. And in fact, if we were to take it in the realm of spirituality, you can have all the knowledge in the world about God and the scripture and still not love him or be intimately acquainted with him. I mean, scripturally, we know even the de demons know the word of God. Even Satan quoted scripture back to Jesus. That doesn't mean he had a loving relationship with him. Knowledge is not intimacy. So let's go on to identity real quick. Identity, when we talk about identity, we talk about identity through the resurrection life of Jesus. And why that is important is because in our world, identity is often established by nine million other things, whether it's you're known for what you do or you're known for who you're connected with or you're known for you know, your failures or your successes or whatever it is. Identity can be built on so many different things. Sometimes we find identity in our family and like I am who I am because I'm associated with you and family. But when we talk about our identity in Christ, it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with what he has done. And so our identity is found in him alone and not in any of those other places. And so when we talk about identity, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about inheritance, we talk about the thing that we release and carry because we're in a reconciled relationship with a good father. You know, on my own, I don't have a lot of resources or, or anything to my name. I don't carry a lot of authority in the name of Drew, but in the name of Jesus, I carry a lot of authority. 
in my own ability to produce or to give something out. I don't really have a lot, but in God's redemptive nature and what he's done for me, I have so much to give because of what he pours into me because of my reconciled relationship with a good father. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Why is this foundational to us? Because uh, if you've been around here long enough, or if you've looked at our website, you might see the quote, the glory of God is man fully alive. And that quote comes from St. Irenaeus. And the, this is the full quote. The glory of God is man fully alive. If the revelation of God through creation already brings life to all living beings on earth, how much more will the manifestations of the Father by the word bring life to those who see God? Meaning that those of us who are called by his name, that are in relationship with him, that are image bearers of God, how much more will we reveal the glory of God when we're fully and completely his and submersed in his presence and guided by his word, how much more will we reveal him to a world that is dying to know him? How much more will we reveal that? If creation itself reveals it, how much more the image bearers who are connected in intimate relationship, who know who they are and know what they carry, how much more will they reveal? For the glory of God is man fully alive in that. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh my Lord, if I had a squirt gun, just wake up. That's a, that's a thing for the future, Kim. I'll do what I want. I'll bring one one of these days. That's right, America, hashtag, I'll do what I want. All right, so when we, so when we talk about all this, Honestly, there's a lot of things on my heart and mind that as I was approaching this this week, trying to think about, okay, okay, God, what do you want to say to us? What do you want to do? What work do you want to do in us? And the picture that I got as I was wrestling through this week is that we have a lot of stuff that the Lord wants to plant in our hearts and minds over the next several months through this series of identity, or sorry, intimacy, identity, and inheritance. And if any of you are familiar with gardening, I'm not, but I, I'm going to pretend like I am for the moment. But at least conceptually, I know that in my yard, say if I want to plant something, I look for the spot and then I realize I've got to clear the ground in order to make it ready to receive the seeds or the things I need to plant. So if there's rocks in the way, I've got to dig those out. If there's weeds, I've got to pull them. I've got to kill them. I've got to whatever. If it needs more topsoil, I need to do this. I need to cultivate the land to get it ready to receive the thing that needs to grow. And I feel like this morning, that's the call that God has on this morning is we are getting rid of rocks and weeds and making space in the garden of our hearts for what God wants to implant over this next season. That makes sense? This is not easy work, by the way. Some of you do not want to discover the rocks in your garden or the weeds. You're like, don't look at my weeds. You know, it's like, we understand this is, this is not, anything that we talk about today is not to shame or condemn. It's to free and to make space for what the Lord wants to do. Can we agree to that? Okay. So the first thing as we're approaching this that I really felt like as we approach the topic of intimacy, identity, inheritance, one of the things the Lord brought on my heart and mind is that there's this tension point that we have to wrestle with depending on our backgrounds um, that, that starts arising in us when we start talking about intimacy with, with Christ. And part of that just comes with our maybe history in religious environments that for me, when I hear these words it brings up memories and fear and comparison in my heart and mind. And so this is my story, but maybe some of you will relate. How many of you have ever heard the term quiet time? Raise your hand if you've heard about the quiet time. Some of you are laughing but not raising your hands. Raise your hands if you heard about the term the quiet time. Have you ever been in an accountability group and someone said, have you had your quiet time? Your quiet time with Jesus? which normally meant, did you read one passage of the Old Testament, one Psalm, one proverb, and one passage of the New Testament, and then you go through the Acts adoration model of devotionals, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I, it drilled into my heart and mind because for me, relationship with Jesus turned into religious duty and religious obligation. And it turned into me demonstrating to God that I was doing the right things to be in right relationship with him. Does this resonate with anybody? Unfortunately, what that's doing is it's replacing the relationship that God wants with us with empty religious practice. And so please don't hear me say that reading our Bible is not good and life-giving. 
Please don't hear me say that, that, that being devoted to memorizing scripture or, or these practices that many of us got in our lives and our maybe older religious experiences, please don't hear me say that they're bad. But if they become the object rather than the relationship with God, if it becomes about comparing notes or pass or failure, then we are not in a good spot to cultivate relationship or cultivating religion. If it's about what I can quote back to you in scripture rather than knowing what it means or applying it to my heart, then we're into religious practice and we're not into anything good. We're into something that's actually death. Got real quiet there. Relationship is about pursuit. Relationship is about, it's dynamic in its nature. Relationship is far better and greater. And relationship is also very individual. So how many of you know we all have different personality types? Hallelujah. Oh, look, there's a slide. Okay, good. Y'all get to those. Thank you, Kira, who's putting up those slides. Relationship is individual. We all have different personality types. We all have different histories. We all have different things that, that make us come alive. Do you know that the God of the universe wants to engage with you in the way that you are, not in the way that he is? Let me say that again and put it in a different way. When we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit is filling us meaning the Holy Spirit knows the individual nature of who we are and is going to fill us up, not that he's wanting us to come and fill him up and conform to whatever space he wants us to fill. He's filling us in the space that we have, which means that God knows us intimately and knows the way that we best understand him and knows where we're at in our maturity level and our understanding to be able to communicate with him best. And so what does that mean practically, Drew? Well, for instance, God knows me and he knows how I talk. He knows what I respond to in my heart. He knows my personality and my humor. And so God is not going to approach me in conversation sounding like a King James Bible. He's just not. I'm not going to be going about my day and the Lord's going to speak in a thunderous voice. Helloeth my childeth. You know, that's not how God's going to approach me. Honestly, the way God speaks to me and gets my attention sometimes is when I'm in the shower, he's like, hey, dum-dum. I'm like, yes, Lord, I hear and obey. You know, it's like, and it's, and please don't hear me say this. The Lord says things funny to me because for me, humor is, is a, a love language. If the Lord can joke with me, I know he loves me and accepts me. Now, some of you may not be like that. Some of you might not want to hear the Lord say, hey, Drufus, what's up? You know, I'm like... That might not speak to your heart, but it speaks to me in such a way, it's so intimate to me because it it's means that the Lord knows me and then that the Lord is wanting to take my defenses down. And the fact that he does this in the shower is really unfortunate because I'm like, Lord, defenses are down. You know, it's like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Maybe that was a visual too far for you all this morning. Yup, says someone. Thank you for that, Rose. I appreciate it. Not, not, not um, humiliated or hurt by that at all. I, say, I share all this to say that God knows us and he knows you. Do you know that there are, there's, there's ways, um, there's an incredible author, Gary Thomas, who writes a book. He's an author, counselor, theologian, and he writes this book called Sacred Pathways, which I think is an incredible book. Any one of you would be blessed to read it. But in it, he basically talks about how we best connect with God. And this being very similar to like personality types, where some of us might be trying to understand, understand ourselves through like Myers-Briggs or mind types or strength finders or, you know, all these things that we try to understand ourselves to interact well in the world. Well, this looks at how are we designed specifically by God that we best and most naturally connect with him. So I'll give you an idea of this. How many of you have ever felt so incredibly connected to God when you're out in nature? Raise your hand. Higher, please. You guys might have the gift of the naturalist, which in this book talks about how those types of people naturally connect to God best when they're out in nature, when they can see his attributes. And the, the pictures throughout creation give us an idea of who he is. One story that I have on this, and some of you may have heard it before, is a friend of mine who was struggling to know the love of God. And I knew he was a naturalist, so we walked for a cup of coffee, and it was in the fall in Portland one year, and it was happened to be a sunny day like this, which never happens in Portland in the fall. And because it was sunny, this, the leaves that had been changing were just lit up with the sun. And so the orange and the yellow and the red 
glow of these leaves were out there. And I remember looking at him and I say, hey, friend, not going to tell his name, but why do you think the leaves change color? And he went into this very intellectual, like, because he studies nature. He's like, well, the leaves change color because chlorophyll gets drawn out of the leaves into the branches and it works for the deciduous trees as an antifreeze and a nourisher throughout the winter. I'm like, thank you, Bill Nye, science guy. And then I looked at him and I said, why is it beautiful? Mr. Science, why is it beautiful? Why is it beautiful? Because the Lord communicates his attributes in his nature throughout creation. And one of the things that he gives us to see and understand is that there are processes in life, but he makes them beautiful just because we can appreciate beauty. And he wants us to know that his heart and his character is good and that he loves us and he wants us to be able to see and appreciate and enjoy the things around us. He makes it beautiful because he loves us. And the naturalist can go out into nature and experience God in a way that you'll never experience reading the Bible because it connects your heart to him in a way that is so powerful. Another type of personality in this is, is the compassionate, is the server, is those who want to serve other people and experience God best when they're serving other people. An example of this would be Mother Teresa, who saw the face of Jesus in every person she picked up out of a gutter. Because she saw whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. That wasn't just a biblical concept. That was truth to her that Jesus was the person in the gutter. And as she served that person, she was washing the hands, feet, face of Jesus. Does that make sense? Some of us are more enthusiasts in nature in which we connect with God through celebration and mystery. And, you know, a lot of worship leaders are like that, where you're like, what are they wearing and how are they moving and why? Because their enthusiasts are like, yes, the Lord has here, you know, and you fall down on the ground and you're like, okay, whatever. You're an enthusiast. So they connect with God through mystery and through celebration. And because, you know, sometimes in spirituality, we get into this place of like, oh, I gotta do better. And we forget joy. And sometimes when we experience joy, when we experience bounty, when we experience celebration, we experience the, the, oh, the, the, the providence of God and the joy of God and the goodness of God in a way that we can't experience any other way. I share this because in religion, we get stuck in one place of relating to God. And we think that is the only way. And we start comparing ourselves and doing pass or failure if we're not connecting to God in the way that we're being told is the only way to connect with God. Does that make sense? And I want to free you guys this morning to understand God the way God made you and how he purposed you to connect best with him. And it doesn't say just exclusively go out in nature and commune with God just in nature because even if we focus on a right attribute of God, we can get a distorted picture if we don't look at all of who God is. So you don't just do those things, but feel the permission to understand how best you connect with God and glory in that. Because we all need that as an example. Because if I'm not a naturalist, I need the naturalist to show me how God shows up in the trees and in, in the, the creation all around us. I need them to point back to God's mysteries that way. For the intellectuals that, that connect with God, knowing him more, I need that information. How many of you ever sat with Ryan when he's teaching and it feels like you're drinking out of a fire hydrant that's just shooting into your face? And you're like, all this information is so good. Well, I need all that information and I might not naturally go out and get it myself, but the intellectual can give me their revelation of God because they've poured into that. Does this all make sense? This is why we all need each other and we need each other fully alive is because we bless each other in our relationships with God when we come fully alive to those places that we connect with him. Amen? So our religion and not good, relationship, good. So there's another thing that wrecks us, and that's complacency. Complacency begins to get into our hearts and minds when maybe we've settled into a place of interacting with God or a place that we think is the only way to interact with God and it starts feeling stagnant and we get to this place of just settledness. Anyone experienced that before? Okay, so this is demonstrated, I think, in a couple different ways, but, but what I want to challenge on this for all of us is complacency relies on us to have a lower view of who God is. It relies upon us to think that when we've reached this place of relationship with God, there's, that's all there is to it. And there's nothing more to be experienced. 
can I say this to everyone? Everyone look up here and look at me in the eyes. And sometimes you're looking in the back of my head because I'm not facing you and that's okay. <laughs> God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no limit to who he is. If we think for a minute we're ever going to get to a place in relationship with him where we figured him all out or there's not more to understand or experience, we are believing a life from the pit of hell. God is so much bigger and so much grander and so much more beautiful and so much more nuanced than we could ever know. We will never run out of opportunities to know him and to get to know him better. Even in heaven, when we are there, because it says in Revelation, there are angels that are covered in eyes, which means they're seeing a lot of things, that they are perpetually looking on the presence of God and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy just simply means set apart, different, meaning these beings that are covered in eyes are looking at him for eternity and seeing something different every time they're looking. We will never run out of things to discover about God. So our relationship with him and intimacy with him will never be satisfied in the sense that it's going to be enough is enough. It will never get there because there's always more to know. So let's press into that and press out of complacency. But let's ask this question. Why sometimes is it so hard to get out of places of complacency, to get out of places where we're stuck in our intimacy with God? Well, some of the things that, that, that um, the Lord put on my heart to share with you today uh, might be a little bit confrontational, but bear with. It's going to be fine. Might be a little personal. I might get beyond preaching to meddling. That's okay. <laughs> That's why they pay me the not-so-big bucks. <laughs> and honestly, this isn't, this isn't unique just to this issue, but it is so applicable to it. So let's settle in. Why is change so hard? Well, I think one reason is because we get really disappointed but with God. I think it is something a lot of us maybe get afraid to say because maybe we grow up in environments where God is not to be questioned or God is not to be doubted. You know, we ascribe everything that happens into our life to God's will, which is not okay and not good. And it leads to some really bad conclusions. For example, I grew up in this environment that God was in control, that God controlled everything, that God purposed everything. And so as a kid and a teenager, when I'm trying to process my physical, emotional, spiritual, and sexual abuse, I'm looking at it through the lens of, well, God intended this to happen to me. Because God is in control. So why then would God purpose these abuses to happen to me? And the answer in that environment is, well, God wants you to have a testimony to praise him. Oh, good. God hurt me to bless him. That will breed disappointment with God because it's a misappropriation of his character. And I'll be honest with you, all of us are carrying these things in our lives where we get disappointed with God for some reason or another, whether it's we misunderstand what he's doing or we're on the, the other side of the redemptive experience when all we're seeing is the pain and the brokenness and we don't see the redemption on the other side. And it's reasonable and understandable that we would get disappointed because we don't understand what he's doing. But when we get disappointed and we let that settle into a place of agreement about his character or what he can do or what he will do, then we start limiting our relationship with him and we get stuck because we get to a place where we're like, God won't do that. He didn't do it here. He won't do it. He just won't do it. And we settle into a lower view of God. I want to challenge everyone here in just in this moment, if you could just close your eyes for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and, can, and show you, am I holding on to disappointment against God? And please hear me say this. There's no criticism from God or from me or anyone here if that's the case. We've all experienced pain. We've all experienced the brokenness of this world. It would be reasonable to feel some disappointment. So just in this moment, let's just sit with the Lord for a second. Okay. Thank you, Drew, for bringing up my disappointment. I feel filled and happy and I'm ready to be released for this day to conquer the world. You're like, no. Why would I bring this up? What do we do with this? Well, if you are seeing something in your heart, mind, spirit, that, that you have disappointment towards God, 
chances are this is something that feels very permanent. Like our histories feel very permanent. What we've done in the past feels permanent. Sometimes the way we even view our own struggles, like things that we might be struggling with internally, we feel are permanent. And honestly, some things are. I will never not have been an abused child. That's permanent. My history is permanent. The mistakes I've made in my life, those happen. They're permanent. The family I grew up in, permanent. We all know there's things in our life we'd look at and wish they weren't what they were. Changing our perspective about them because of God's character is really what we need to start doing. Like, let me just give you an example of this. Sometimes we get disappointed in the fact that we might hit some struggle or some relational brokenness or some, you know, point in our lives, something that, that brings us shame or pain or frustration, that we will hit it, we'll, we'll hit it in a season, we'll move on with life and feel like we're good, but then we come right back to it and hit it again. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Listen, people. When I ask if you know what I'm talking about, raise your hands if you know what I'm talking about. There we are. If we get disappointed by that, let me help give us a perspective change. What happens every day between like 5 a.m. and 7 a.m.? Anyone know? Sunrise. Sunrise. What happens every day, depending on the season, between like 4.30 and like 8? The sunset. What happens... The sun rises, the sun sets every day. What happens? We're in winter. What happens after winter? Well, actually, first it's fall, spring. This is in February here in Medford where we think, yay, it's 70 degrees. And then we get slapped back down by the cold hand of winter. So fake spring, then spring, and then smoke season comes. Listen, if you just knew that it was coming, we wouldn't be so disappointed every year. It's like Satan's fart cloud is coming in and it's going to be here for a little while and then it'll leave. And then we know fall comes after that and then winter again. We know the cyclical nature of life. This is how God created it in rhythm and cycle. We are going to come back to difficult things once in a while. It's going to happen. But if we change our perspective about what God might do in that next turn of the wheel, then we have hope. Because when the sun rises tomorrow, I can say, it is not yesterday, it's today, and his mercies are new every morning. And my perspective can change, amen? Another thing which is similar to permanence is paralysis. Paralysis is, is not permanent, but it can feel like it. So what happens if, like many of you have your legs crossed, you're sitting. What happens if you sit there that way for a long, long, long time? Your leg falls asleep. Why does your leg fall asleep? Lack of blood flow. What happens when we have a lack of blood flow is that the oxygenated blood from our lungs and our heart does not get down to the limb that's cut off. In fact, instead, all the blood that took oxygen down there and is supposed to take all the toxin back to the liver and the kidneys and all that gets stuck in the limb and the toxins begin to build up and oxygen level goes down and the cells in your leg begin to die. (laughs) And the tingling you feel when you move it is a collective move of your cells to give themselves CPR. Like, you know? and get the toxins out of the blood and move the blood to circulation. And we know that if you're paralyzed in a position, you cut off life from that area. And for life to begin again, blood has to flow to that area. Life blood has to flow. Sometimes in our lives, we get paralyzed by a disagreement with God's character or something, and we get stuck in a position, and the life of Christ is cut off from that place in our life because we're not willing to move. Sometimes it can be just laziness. Sometimes it can be about just not knowing that you need to move. Sometimes it can be that we have this belief that we are unrigidly unwilling to submit to the hand of God. And God's life cannot flow into that place because we will not move and let the life flow. Does that make sense? And sometimes it's just about like... Sometimes it's just literally being willing to change. Stepping into a new place where we haven't experienced God's hand yet 
and we take the risk to move our legs, to move our bodies, to move our hearts to that place and let the life of God flow into a place that it hasn't before. That's paralysis. It needs to be undone by a dynamic encounter. How many of you have ever been to like the chiropractor? then you know what it is to be undone by a dynamic encounter. Like where I'm looking at the chiropractor going, where did you learn how to do this? And they said, you know, action film, snap. You know, it's like, ah, uh, you know, you can go and you can be out of function. And then in a moment, God puts something back or that chiropractor puts something back into function. And then you, you work and you live again. Sometimes what we need in that dynamic encounter on a spiritual level is a revelation of God where we've been wrong or a revelation about his character, or something that removes the roadblock or removes the thing that's keeping us stuck so that we can begin to move again. Does that make sense? Another thing is conditioning. This is similar, but it's, it, it's a little bit more gradual. Conditioning, that is where we condition our expectations or because of maybe of our previous environment, we're conditioned to believe something that isn't true. I remember when Ryan said one Sunday morning, he said this, and it just undid like 10 years of my spiritual life. And I remember he said that some Christians believe more in Satan's ability to speak directly to our hearts than in God's ability to. Let me, let me clarify why that's true. Like I grew up in a religious environment where God speaks to you through the word of God, through the scripture. That is the only way God speaks to you through the scripture. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. But yet the enemy could speak to your heart all the time. Like I would hear it constantly from my friends and from my spiritual leaders, like, oh, the enemy was tempting me today. Oh, the enemy was speaking lies over my heart today. And when Ryan said, some of us believe more in the enemy's ability to speak to us than in the Holy Spirit's ability to speak to us, it clicked in me that that was a belief I had that I didn't realize I had that I could somehow hear Satan's voice better than the God who loves me. Can I just confront that in all of us right now, that if it's not that, then it maybe it's something like that where your previous environment conditioned you to believe something that isn't true and it's limiting your relationship with God. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. Father, just come in and let that part sink in. Let us contend with that in our spirits right now, Father. If there's something that we have been conditioned to believe that is unworthy of who you are, Father, bring it to our hearts and minds right now. Don't worry, everyone. We're going to have a chance to respond in just a minute, but we're going to move on in the case in, in the interest of time. Something else that that diminishes our ability or there are weeds in the garden that will prevent us from being able to move forward well and grow through this season that we're walking into is something called chaos and disorder. Now, chaos and disorder, like sometimes we can go err on the other side, which is actually worse, which is rigidity and inflexibility. Like God will only speak through this way. Chaos and disorder is like the other end of the spectrum where it's like, there are no rules and guidelines. <laughs> Okay, I grew up in a very rules and guidelines kind of environment. And then I started going, like, I don't know if any of you know this, that we're a charismatic church. You might, if you don't know what that is, welcome. <laughs> but I'll be honest, in some charismatic environments, like, it just sometimes feels very chaotic because there are no rules or structure where it's like, I'm just going to be with the Lord. It's like, what well, can you be with the Lord in your own bubble? Because right now you're tambourines in my face. You know, it's like, anyone relate to that? Anyone been hit by a flag once in church and you're like, that's enough. It's the reason we don't have tambourines and flags here. Drew said, no, you know. Sometimes chaos and disorder, it has this illusion of freedom, but actually it's a different form of bondage because it doesn't allow God to work within a structure. And I will say this, like I said before that my, you know, my quiet time, the structure that that was put in in my growing up years gave me a lot of uh, comparison and feelings of failure and death. And so when I ended my early adulthood, I kind of went away from all that and said, I'm just going to experience the Lord. And for a season, it was pretty good. But then I realized I need some structure again because 
too much freedom sometimes gets us into a place where we don't steward our lives well. And structure can be actually very, very good, powerful thing because it actually helps us know where to hang our experiences, helps us know how to cultivate forward. It isn't God, but it does certainly help us to know God at times because God is a God of order. Amen? Another thing, one of the last things I'll share that gets us stuck is apathy and ambivalence. And all that really is is hopelessness. It looks at a situation or a context of a situation and it views it through the lens of there's just nothing better here. There's no hope here. There's no hope for the future. There's no vision for something better. And sometimes that's partnered with complacency and sometimes that's just a result of a lot of pain and hurt. And there's no criticism for me in that because certainly there are things in life because of the permanence of them or because of the pain of them, because of the persistency of them, it can feel like there is nothing good that can come or there's no hope in the circumstance. But I'm going to tell you this right now and I want to challenge us in this that if we truly do believe in a God that created the universe, that loves us, that holds the power of creation and redemption and restoration and life in his hands, then truly is there anything that is hopeless? It's okay to acknowledge places in our lives where we've been disappointed, where we have reached a point of just apathy or like wondering, is this it? But may I challenge us never to settle there, that ultimately God can prove better, bigger, more amazing than we could imagine. All of this as a starting point for our series is, is like I said, it's simply meant to do this, to challenge our hearts and to get us to look at the garden that we want to implant some of the things we're going to learn over the next several weeks and to ask ourselves honestly, are there some weeds or some stones in there that we need to uproot? So I'm going to invite the worship team back up and we're going to enter back into worship But we're going to do so inviting the Lord to lead us in, and this word might trigger some of you, but we'll get through it, to lead us into a very gentle repentance. So repentance isn't always about like how you failed or how, what you need to, you know, cast down at the feet of Jesus or what sin we might commit. Repentance in the Hebrew connotation is really pictorial in nature and it simply presents this idea that you are on a path, that you have had an awakening to the path that you're on and where it's taking you, that you turn from that path to face the Father and you pursue him. Does that make sense? And so really that doesn't have to do with anything of sin at, at all. It can, or it might just mean that the Lord has shown you that the path that you're on is ruled by paralysis, or it's been ruled by complacency, or it's been ruled by apathy, or it's been ruled by conditioning. And you don't want that path anymore. You want something fresh and new. You want a new dynamic relationship with God that you've not experienced before. And so sometimes repentance, that gentle repentance just means, I agree that this is not what I want and I want to face you and pursue what you have for me, God. Make sense? So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray this prayer over you guys. I want you all to stand with me. And as I pray these words, I challenge you to to actually make this your prayer between your heart and the Lord's. And I love what Rachel said earlier of like, sometimes we're singing words and sometimes we're praying words that we don't fully believe yet, but he can help us in our unbelief. If you don't fully believe the words of this prayer yet, yet is a very important word. And I challenge you by faith to still make these your own in that same posture of, Lord, I don't quite believe this, but help my unbelief. And even if he's not yet your Lord, if you're just here questioning or searching or investigating, I challenge you to even let yourself say, you might not be my Lord, but I am open to seeing if you should be. So I'm going to read this prayer over you and make this an invitation to let the Holy Spirit come and speak to your heart. And as he does, if there's stuff that you need to get rid of, just give it back to him. Give it over to him. 
and agree with him that those things aren't where you want to be. If in this time of worship and response, you want to fall on your face and weep, there is room here for that. If you want to raise your hands and laugh and dance, you can do that. If you want to stand completely still and just soak in God's presence, do that. If you want to feel moved to go and get the communion elements and take part in communion, you can do that. Again, whatever way you need to respond, there is space and room. Just respond to the Lord in this moment and don't hold yourself back from him. Agreed? Abba, I surrender my life and will to you today without reservation and with humble confidence for you are my loving father. Set me free from all self-consciousness and from anxiety about tomorrow and from the tyranny of the approval and disapproval of others that I might find joy and delight simply and solely in pleasing you, God. May my inner freedom be a compelling sign of your presence, your peace, and your power and love, and let your plan for my life and the lives of all your children gracefully unfold one day at a time. I love you with all my heart, and I place all my confidence in you, for you, God, are my Father, my Abba. Amen. I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave for blessings Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you and I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry When I just sing another song Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I open up And I'm sorry When I've come with my agenda I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence I Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, and nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do. I 
just want you and nothing else and nothing else nothing else will do i just want you and nothing else and nothing else nothing else will do shared this morning it's so God's heart for us it's just he's wanting to walk with us through every step of our lives and as we even talked last week I shared the the word that the Lord gave me for our house was that there's new territory there's new ground for us to take and that this year as as we step into these new places and 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 take this ground that he's giving us it's gonna take us checking our hearts and saying, God, is there anything in me that's not aligned with you? Is there anything that you want to reveal to my heart? Not out of shame, not out of disappointment that I might not be doing it right, but just because you want to, you love me and you want to partner with me. And so I love what he shared this morning because it's just an encouragement to our heart that we can trust the Lord to reveal things to our heart and say, okay, Lord, you wanna check that in me? You, wanna, you want me to go a different direction than I'm going right now? I'll go with you. And so I just want you to put your hand on your heart right now and we're just gonna respond. And this is if you want to do this, I'm not telling you you have to, but Jesus, we just wanna respond to this word that was given this morning. And we, would, we wanna say yes to you and to the direction that you're calling us. We wanna, we wanna hear from you if there's anything in the garden of our lives that is not aligned with you, God, reveal it to us. If there's any places of healing that need to take place, show us. 
God, we want to walk into those new places, that new territory that you want us to take this year. But we know it requires us to hold on to you and to hear from you. And so if anything's getting in the way of that, God, we ask that you would reveal those things so that we can bring them before you and align our hearts with you and hear from you. We thank you, God, for this message, this encouragement, this challenge. Help us not to stay in the place that we've been as before, but we're gonna take these steps this year out of our comfort zone into maybe some places that are uncomfortable and we're gonna trust you. And we know that requires our hearts to be aligned with you. And so as we step into intimacy and identity and inheritance as a house, teach us, even if we've gone through this for the last seven years, God, our hearts are ready to hear from you this year afresh. What is it you wanna teach us about intimacy and our identity and our inheritance? We're ready. So we take those steps with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for being with us today. We love you and we'll see you guys next week.